Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There is an old advertising slogan for American Express from the 80s and 90s that reminds me of what we're doing here today. Um, membership has its privileges. And we are members of the Democracy Group Podcast Network, and we're going to include excerpts from two other shows in that network that we really like. On this episode, Understanding Us, Our Broken System of Government, and Voters as Consumers, Frank Luntz and Ethan Porter. I believe, and it's a 5149 decision that the single best decision that was made since the election was Twitter kicking Donald Trump off because he can't add to that ugliness anymore. Government provides people a lot of benefits that they just don't know about. And part of the consumer citizen argument is that because they don't know about those benefits and because they have a sort of consumer mentality, they become really frustrated with government and want to punish it as they would an unfair company. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? We feature two different experts who've spent years trying to understand us, the voters, and our relationship with government. First, we're going to hear from Frank Luntz, the legendary communications and messaging expert and conservative political consultant. We include edits from an interview he did in early February with well-known Harvard Law professor Lawrence Lessig for the podcast Another Way with Lawrence Lessig. Lawrence's podcast includes long-form interviews on how we can reform and improve democracy. It's, I think, really worth a listen. First... Lessig asked Luntz, what was his greatest surprise in recent years as a pollster and political analyst? I never dreamed that we would be susceptible. In fact, not only did I not dream it, I dismissed it, that we would be susceptible to what Donald Trump has created. I, I laughed it off, then I rejected it with resentment. How dare you say this? Describing what happened. I could not foresee January 6th. I could not foresee a violent takeover of the Capitol. And I'm still shocked to this day, and we're now approaching a month later, when I see more and more video that's coming out of absolute chaos and anarchy and a, and a takeover, an attempted takeover. I will not use the word coup. 
because it's not appropriate, but a takeover is appropriate. And Larry, I said this was impossible. And I probably used dismissive language to respond and it happened. So you ask me, what am I most surprised of? That we are so uneducated and so uninformed and so quick to dismiss that we will cancel people who should be heard and we will follow people who should be canceled. In the past year, Luntz says, he's been seeking ways for people to find common ground. Sounds familiar for us here at How Do We Fix It? I don't believe that we should be fighting as much as we are. I don't believe we should be yelling as much as we are. I don't believe we should be seeking to divide ourselves as much as we do. We are pulling ourselves apart. It used to be because of uh, talk radio, then it was because of cable, and now it's because of social media. I am the person who's trying to work as fast as I can to sew a tapestry that, that unites us, that, that binds us together. Luntz works mostly for Republicans, but he blames Donald Trump and his Twitter feed for convincing millions of people wrongly that the election was stolen and the spreading of lies has changed his view about free speech. Forty years ago, both of us were complete advocates of freedom of speech. Unfiltered, unmitigated, just you get to say whatever you want to say, just don't yell fire in a crowded theater. I'm no longer that way. I believe, and it's a 5149 decision, that the single best decision that was made since the election was Twitter kicking Donald Trump off because he can't add to that ugliness anymore. He can't keep telling people who get their news, not from the New York Times and not from Fox, but from Trump himself. He is no longer able to poison them. I think that was the best decision as much as I hate it because I know that Twitter is going to close off other people on the right and going to say that, well, their their opinions are dangerous, are not factual. I'll take that risk for now. I'll fight that battle. Because having Donald Trump every single day telling the public and in, in just riling them up and encouraging them to reject their government, that is that is a greater damage, that is a greater threat than silencing him. And then their conversation pivoted from social media to old media television. I agree. You know, it's the reality. You can't control what people consume. Um, But if you could persuade uh, networks, for example, or politicians, how they could behave slightly differently, what would would the persuasion be? Like, what would you tell the equivalent of Fox or MSNBC? I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, one side about how they should run news to make it so... I've done it. Okay, what would you say? I've done it for three networks. I've actually done this research to help them establish greater credibility, uh, viewer trust. The first thing is, don't give your opinion. Give the facts. Present it. These networks would present, in an all-time low for this administration, Donald Trump today held a press conference where he came roaring back at his enemies. Instead of beginning that way, you begin with the press conference itself and you allow the president to speak unedited, unfiltered, and unanalyzed. And then you give your point of view. 
if you let your your focal point speak without this uh, um, editorializing, that's number one. Number two is that all opinions aren't equal. You don't have to present. If someone says that fascism is great, you don't have to have to promote that just because you're trying to make a balance. But if someone does something good, write about it. In the entire time of Donald Trump's presidency, he did not get a single positive editorial from the New York Times. I need to go back because the one time I do need to look at is what they said about the the Abraham Accords. Yeah, no, that, um, what's his name? The um, foreign affairs uh, editorialist um, wrote a really strong pro-Trump thing then. Tom Friedman? That was very important. Tom Friedman, yeah. But he's not the editorial page. No, I agree, but um, he was very strong about it. They will not, they did not. There's some stuff that Trump did. We have a lower unemployment rate. We had low unemployment rate where African-Americans, Latinos, women were working. The economy before COVID was really humming. That there are, that he had to hold China accountable. Maybe the way he did it was wrong, but the fact that he did it with the damage that they've done to our economy and with the damage, frankly, they did because of COVID. Uh, Trump sought accountability measures with them. There are aspects of his presidency that were quite good, surrounded by many, many more that were horribly damaging. If the media wants to regain credibility and trust, they have to accept the good with the bad. And they and and there is no one. There's you cannot turn on a channel other than CNBC right now that ha, that is truly balanced. And Bloomberg, I'd say, but nobody watches Bloomberg. Bloomberg and CNBC are the only two places where you can get an accurate read of what's going on. Okay, but but this, so this sounds like you could do something to produce an ac- a more accurate understanding in the public, like bracketing the effect of like the president's Twitter feed. Um. So so do they not do it because it just turns out not to be as profitable to play that game? The New York Times saved itself by by going all in against Donald Trump and they became the mouthpiece of the opposition movement, of the resist movement. I think a much better approach is is was done by probably the most important publication, daily publication in America today, which is the Wall Street Journal. In the Wall Street Journal, you would see them trash Trump and praise him on the same page. You'd see two different takes of the same story. I think the journal is the best publication, the most important publication in the world today because it does the most news, the most stories that matter, the least amount of fluff and absolute crap that really doesn't matter. And they do it in a way that when you read it, you can be assured that what you're getting is the truth. I would then say the Financial Times is also pretty good in The Economist. And what do they all three have in common? They're all business publications because in the end, you can editorialize politics. But if you editorialize business, people are going to lose their life savings. You just can't. Okay, but broadcast. Is it more profitable in broadcast to be like CNBC or to be like Fox? I'm hoping that somebody will find a way to broaden the appeal of CNBC and broaden the appeal of Bloomberg so that we can have the CNN that we once had 20 years ago. The fact is CNN's election night coverage is the best of all because they're analysts 
and they're telling you exactly what's happening and why it's happening. And they're doing it in great detail and they're doing it using numbers, using facts. And CNN's what I watch on election night. Trying to watch CNN any other time is impossible because it is the anti, it's just the anti-Trump, anti-Republican, anti-right of center news network. And people who used to be very straightforward, some great journalists, journalists on that network have thrown themselves all in, believing that they're doing the public a service, but it's as bad on the left as Fox is on the right. Frank Luntz speaking on the podcast Another Way with Lawrence Lessig. You can find more episodes at democracygroup.org. That's the website for the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Which we are proud members of. Coming next on this episode, an interview with Ethan Porter on Citizens as Consumers. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Our next interview is from the podcast Politics in Question, which is co-hosted by Lee Drutman, who's been on How Do We Fix It a couple of times, Julia Azari, and James Walner. This interview is about the relationship between Americans' trust in government and their willingness to pay for the things that government does. Ethan Porter is the author of the new book, The Consumer Citizen. He's an assistant professor at the George Washington University School of Media and Public Affairs. First, Lee Drutman asked Ethan Porter, what is the consumer citizen? The citizen spends most of his time doing things besides engaging with civic life. And as I show in the book, what that means mostly is the citizen spends uh, his or her time shopping uh, you know, on Amazon, at Costco, etc. So talk to us a little bit about what the, what the implications of that are for how we think about citizenship. Now, this is, this is like the core of the argument. Right. Yeah. So I think this, this means a few things for citizenship. Um, it means, first of all, that we need to understand that, that, that most people's relationship with politics is completely distinct from the relationship that listeners of this podcast have, uh, that 
political scientists have and that uh, political journalists have. Uh, most people's relationship to politics is, is at a distance, you know, as Dahl put it, right? For most people, politics um, is but a sideshow in the circus of life. And so with that knowledge in mind, we should then begin to investigate, well, what is it that people do with their lives? And they, they do many things, obviously, but in reviewing time series data, uh, you know, I was struck by the amount of time people spend shopping. And people aren't just shopping at Amazon for a book, you know, such as The Consumer Citizen, right? People are also, you know, shopping for groceries. They're, they're um, you know, going to CVS to pick something up. They're buying coffee in the morning. The book's argument is that these that these sort of fragmentary experiences accumulate, and over over time they instruct us in habits that we that we bring with us on those rare occasions when we engage in politics. If nothing else, the book is an argument about the importance of habit for politics, but it's not about political habits. It's about how apolitical habits, non-political habits, habits that we learn in the consumer realm can come to shape what we do when we're doing civic activities. Porter says many of our decisions and even our identities are shaped by the time and effort we spend as consumers. I think civic-minded people, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, um, often imagine that the consumer world and the civic world are, are at loggerheads forever and are irreconcilable. Um, but what I show in the book is that actually appealing to people through civic terms, uh, so, sorry, appealing to people through consumer terms um, can make them more trusting of government. Um, so it's it's not the case that consumerism is inherently always opposed to the civic world. It's that actually we can sort of leverage consumerism and its lessons to make people um, come to resemble the citizens we want them to be. So I, I think Lee began by talking about the decline in, in trust in government. And um, in, in one of the book's final studies, I show that trust in government can be increased pretty substantially through a sort of an advertising intervention that I worked on with two co-authors in which we basically created an advertisement for government. We sort of revealed the submerged state, right? Uh, you know, we emphasize those benefits that um, government provides that people might not always be aware of. And in doing so, we did increase trust in government, right? So if you're holding on to the ideal of citizenship, it might be worth thinking through the ways in which meeting people where they are as consumers can actually help us get to that ideal. In some ways, Donald Trump understood this concept a lot better than most other politicians. And in some ways, Trump's election, in my mind, uh, was the culmination. It was the triumph of consumer citizenship. And you know, I was not, not happy. I want to be very clear about this. I was deeply disturbed um, and, and upset and outraged and all the, other, all the other words. But Donald Trump is a guy who sold stakes and you know, then eventually sold his presidency. Uh, so the power of, of consumer citizenship is, you know, uh, the power of the consumer in our politics, I think, was, was at a high watermark. Um, whether or not it's dissipated since, um, I don't know. But in terms of the questions about, like, people buying goods to express political preferences, you know, I do that too. Um, but I think most people, my book contends, sort of do the opposite, right? That they're buying so much and paying so little attention to politics that their sort of consumer habits come to shape their politics, uh, right? So usually in political science, we focus on, okay, do Democrats and Republicans behave differently as consumers when their candidates win or lose? 
and I'm saying that's it, that's really interesting, but I reverse it, right? I say, well, what if the independent variable, so to speak, is people's consumer life and, you know, constituted, you know, represented by people's consumer experiences? Um, and that's when I think you can begin to um, realize that the distinction between consumerism and citizenship is not as sharp as um, we might assume. So fairness is a major, major concept for consumers um, that blows apart some of the assumptions that consumers are always individuals, you know, you know sort of individuals maximizing their own individual gain. Um, you know, studies of, of consumer fairness have shown that uh, people are, are quite willing to part with their own money and, and happy to do so if they believe that a company is pricing a good fairly. Um, they become very displeased if they believe the company is pricing a good unfairly. So it's not as if consumers always want to maximize their own interests at the expense of everyone else. There's a sense of reciprocity that matters for consumers that companies are really good at, you know, really good at responding to. Companies know that they benefit when consumers perceive them to be fair. Government, unfortunately, doesn't seem to know that. Government is disinterested in promoting itself as, as being a, 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 a sort of a fair deal maker, which is unfortunate because government provides people a lot of benefits that they just don't know about. And part of the consumer citizen argument is that because they don't know about those benefits and because they have a sort of consumer mentality, they become really frustrated with government and want to punish it as they would an unfair company. So government, it's, it's, it would behoove government to realize that and promote itself in ways that make clear that, no, you're actually getting a, a decent deal, or at least not as bad a deal as you might think. Ethan Porter is author of The Consumer Citizen. He was a recent guest on our sister podcast, Politics in Question. Find out more about this show and others on the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Go to the website, democracygroup.org. And coming up next, our recommendation. And then, of course, no show is complete, Richard, if you and I don't go toe-to-toe discussing the uh, segments today. Richard, I think you've got a recommendation for us today. I have a book and a movie inspired by the same author. News of the World with Tom Hanks tells the story of a traveling newsreader in isolated communities in Texas in the years right after the Civil War. He travels from town to town or settlement to settlement, reading out juicy and interesting extracts from big city newspapers to crowds of people who are starved for news. News of the World is also a book by Paulette Giles, who wrote The Color of Lightning, and her latest, which came out a few months ago, Simon the Fiddler, which I'm reading right now. Um, All are wonderful, written with great clarity and good judgment about uh, the different characters and... uh, Highly recommended. As someone with family roots in late 19th century Texas, I'm really interested in checking that out. Our first interview was with Frank Luntz, who is very much a man of the right and has infuriated liberals like me for years by some of what he said and done. But he today is shocked by the populism on the right and says he's changed his mind about canceling or uh, prohibiting Donald Trump from being on Twitter. It, it, it's a fascinating interview we just heard, and, and Frank Luntz is always a thoughtful presence on the political stage. Yeah, yeah, and represents a 
a definitely a pre-Trump type of Republican Party that we're we haven't seen much of lately. I was interested in his his thoughts about Trump being off of Twitter. I have to say, I'm still working my head around it as an ardent First Amendment person. Yes, I realize Twitter is a private company. I get all that. But as someone who really believes in an open field for speech, at the same time, I'm so relieved not to have Trump on Twitter. And I was so relieved after the January 6th events. I also thought you would like the part where he talks about how much he likes the Wall Street Journal, Richard, which you've often praised for its its neutrality in terms of how it covers the news. And sadly, what we've seen, and Luntz talked about it really well, it's become a good business model to be biased. My favorite quote from Frank Luntz on the media is, don't give your opinions give the facts. Try to separate your editorial columns from your news columns. And that is something that the financial press does far more successfully today than the Washington Post, the New York Times, Fox, whatever mainstream media you pick up on. You're you're just a shameless capitalist, Richard. Come on, face it. (laughs) I suppose I am. Speaking of capitalism, our second interview was with Ethan Porter, who talked about how we think of ourselves as citizens as perhaps being wrong. Uh, His book is called The Consumer Citizen, and he makes a strong and I think constructive pitch for government doing a much better job of selling or advertising its services to citizens who spend most of their time (laughs) or their free time buying stuff, shopping for stuff. Which is kind of depressing to me. You know, you know, I'm a total free market person, but that doesn't mean I'm in favor of consumerism or, or a lot of the things that come with that. Um, I don't want to ban it. People would like to live their lives that way. That's fine. But, you know, when I see people go on vacation, they say, yes, we did a lot of shopping. I'm like, can't you do that at home? But I don't think Karl Marx got very much right in his analysis uh, of the world. But one thing he said that was really fascinating was that in an era of more automated uh, mechanical, like factory jobs, people would find their identity less in what they make and more in what they consume. And I, I just think that was spot on. So many people really define themselves as consumers. They walk around with brands on their clothes. When that same sensibility starts invading our politics, it's really troubling. And I think he's right. But I think Trump really learned partly from his years hanging around the World Wrestling Federation, to look at people as consumers of entertainment. You know, when he did his rallies, he was like a comedian. He was an entertainer. Yeah, I long for a world where the voter is treated as an intelligent human being. But this also is on us, Jim. We have to have, as consumers and and as citizens, a more sophisticated view of politics. Perhaps we're treated by many politicians as being dumb because we are distracted and we don't give enough attention to politics. And so we get what we deserve. We are dumb. One thing that he said was he talked about the uses of advertising to help people understand all the good things that government does and help raise trust in government. And I do think there are many important things that our government does that we don't appreciate enough. But, you know, if 
we want people to perceive institutions being trustworthy, then they have to be trustworthy. And in many, there are so many instances where the game kind of is rigged. Um, you know, tax breaks for this group and not for that group. You know, the person who goes to work every day and pays their bills sometimes is treated with disrespect by our government. So I'm I don't think we can just take people. Well, you have to trust government or declining trust in government is the fault of the citizen. It's also the fault of the government. When Ethan Porter said government is often disinterested in promoting itself to be a fair deal maker. I think he was really on to something. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our show is produced by Miranda Schaefer. We're a production of Davies Content. We make podcasts for companies and nonprofits at DaviesContent.com. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.